Thanks, brother. Good evening. Good evening. Anyone here? Anyone awake? Very good. I see some familiar faces. It's good to be back here at Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks. For those of you that don't know me, this is where I was spiritually raised in the Word of God. So I'm very grateful to be here. But it goes back further than Calvary Chapel, Thousand Oaks, or Calvary Skyline. There was a woman. I believe that the Word of God never returns void. Can anybody agree with me on that? Amen. Amen. And when I was about 10 years of age, I had a crossing guard that used to share the Word of God with me. And uh, we were a bunch of, you know, just bad kids. You know, she would entice us with candy, and we would circle her on our BMX bikes. We'd steal her bag of candy. We'd go off, and she would say, God bless you guys. Well, 20 years later, I came into a church when Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks was on Skyline Drive, and guess who was there? Jenny, my crossing guard. She remembered me. I was 30 years old, and when I was doing, when I, when I knew her, I was 10. And she knew me because she knew me with her heart, and she shared the word of God with me, and I thought she was just some crazy lady. She kind of was. But she shared the word of God with me. Let me say it like this. She shared the word of life with me. And it saved my soul eventually. Not for some time, but it saved my soul. And so I'm honoring Jenny tonight because Jenny passed away. She went to go be with the Lord. And she went to go. It's a celebration. Amen. If anybody would say be celebrating, it would be Jenny. And so I just want to acknowledge her tonight. Um, Thank you, Jenny. Do you guys love the word of God? I mean, do you love the Word of God? I mean, it wasn't Calvary. It wasn't some pastor. It wasn't some evangelist that got me. It was the Word of God. Because I would read the Word of God and go, how did you know that? How did that speak right into my heart? It's always going to be the Word of God that's going to keep you. It's not going to be a church. It's not going to be a pastor, even though that plays a part. Many spokes in the wheel, but the hub is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. And we can never question the Word of God. When we know that God has spoken to us through His Word, we ought not question it. Can you agree with me on that? But it's difficult, isn't it? Because the enemy comes in with subtleties and with the word of God, and he tries to deceive us using the word of God or in his persona or with things that seem good to seduce us out of the conviction that God has given us that I know that what you said to me is true. I know that what you said is true, but everything else around me is telling me something that's different. You got to have a love for the word of God. Because when you love the word of God, what comes from the heart will reach the heart of God. And he'll speak to you in that capacity. When everything's said and done, love the word of God. Love God, love humanity, and God will keep you on the straight and narrow path. You know, when I was, uh, I was one of those guys that got saved out of the world. And I feel like, so many of you don't know me, so I figure it's, it's probably appropriate to share a little bit of my testimony so you guys don't see a talking head up here and you don't know who is that guy. But, you know, I, I got saved out of the world and I really got saved down to my tippy toes. I mean, I just loved Jesus. Everything I wanted was Jesus. And I just went, I found Pastor Rob. I said, tell me what to do. He said, do this. And I did it. And I just kept on doing it. Eventually found myself in the ministry and eventually found myself as an assistant pastor, then a pastor, et cetera, et cetera. Just, I just did what they told me to do. That's the shiny side of it. The other side of it, I'll wait till you invite me back and I'll tell you the darker stories. But tonight, we're just going to focus on the shiny side of the Word of God working in a person's life. Amen? Because I want to get invited back. It's important. It's important. <laughs> Love you, brother. Huh. So I got born again, and I had an aptitude to study, okay? And as I began to study, 
I began, after, I began to want, have a desire to go to seminary. Not that I needed seminary, not that I needed higher education, but I had a heart. I really wanted to know history, and I really wanted to know where did I come from, and how did these things get put together, etc. I had a heart for the, 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 the nooks and crannies of the things of the history of God working throughout his people. And so I came to a point where I was finishing up an undergraduate degree, and I was, um, I was being pushed to go off to Yale University. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's, that's like a heart's desire. And everyone knew I could even do that. I mean, they have a divinity school, and they can put all that together. And I knew it was liberal, but I wanted to go, and I wanted to fight for the word of God. You know, I mean, it was just that zealous. And Pastor Rob and I talked about it. We prayed about it. And God spoke to me as clear as the day is long. And he gave me this verse. It's Psalm 106, verses 13 through 15. And it says, they soon forgot his works They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And when God gave me that word, I feel like he spoke audibly to me. He said, Brian, if you really want to go, you can go. But there'll be leanness in your soul. You're supposed to stay right here and you're supposed to minister in the small things, in the bean field, if you will. And move forward in that. Don't go seeking high things for yourself. Just go lowly. Just stay with what's in front of you and serve that. And so I held on to that application for a couple years, but I was obedient to that word. And I stayed under. And I really didn't understand what it all meant, but I just stayed put. And I I didn't go off to the East Coast, and I didn't go live out what was in my heart and all that kind of stuff. I just lived to the lowly things of what God had for me. And it turned out to be far superior than what I would have had if I would have went The reason being is that I took him at his word. I took him at his word. And wherever we're going, whatever we do, however far God puts us out there or however close he keeps us here, we always have to learn to take God at his word. And therefore, tonight's message is called, Take Him at His Word. If I can leave anything with you tonight, it's that. Take God at his word. Would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? We're going to look at Genesis 3 tonight, verses 1 through 7. When I hear the page, pages stop turning, I will go ahead and read. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more subtle or cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the garden, of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, unless you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked." And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, 
we lift up your word to you, God, and we pray, God, we come to your throne of grace with a spirit of expectation that you're going to speak to us tonight. I pray, God, that you calm the worries in our heart and in our mind. You leave them all outside, that nothing is more important than being here open to what you want to show us tonight. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters. I pray for a Holy Spirit anointing on their lives tonight. Bring them down, Lord. Bring them down from the cares and the stresses and the worries of this life. Don't let that strangle out what you want to do in their heart tonight. I pray, God, that a deep conviction would go in the hearts of your people, and we would walk out of here changed. Even if it's one degree, God, we would change. I pray, God, you'd fill the atmosphere here with your spirit of love and joy and peace and a a spirit of a sanctified boldness, a boldness that has humility and lowliness right at the heart of it. I pray, God, that you'd be honored tonight and no flesh would glory in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So take him at his word or trusting God at his word. What I hope to show you tonight is how obedience to God's word yields satisfaction and how disobedience to God's word yields shame. Shame. Shame's one of those things. That, what a shame. Shame's that thing that goes way deep down inside of us. And it's one of those fundamental things that we don't want anybody else to know who we are deep down inside. But as we begin to have the power of Christ working in us, he begins to heal that area and bring it up and out. Guilt is, hey, I did wrong. Shame is something that says, I'm, I'm embarrassed of who I am fundamentally as a human being. And only the Holy Spirit can illuminate that and then bring you up and out of that and put your feet on the solid rock of Christ. Hence, that's a born-again experience. I need Christ. You won't take on Christ unless you know you need Christ. And the only way you're going to know you need Christ is that you know that you put, a, you put a fig leaf over your soul in order to cover from humanity what, they, what you really are deep down inside. That's a process that only the Holy Spirit can get. We as people are proud people. And we're very, very into exalting ourselves above other, of other human beings rather than lifting the needs of others and putting them before us. And I tell you, my friends, we are prone to be seduced by position, power, and people, and all sorts of other things that will take us out of that lowly, walking humbly with our God. It's something that we need to stay focused on morning and evening. It's something that we always need to be paying attention of. God, is there something in my heart that's lifted up? So we see here that the serpent is cunning. The serpent is seducing Eve. Everybody's very familiar with this story. Has anybody not heard this story before? Everybody knows this story. Even those that aren't believers know this story. But there's some interesting parallels that I hope to draw out tonight. First of all, the word says that he was cunning. He was more cunning than any other beast in the field that God had made. This word cunning is very interesting because the word cunning is arum in the Hebrew, and it basically means that he was prudent. He was subtle. He was cunning. He was crafty. But the same word also applies in a positive sense, a room to those in the book of Proverbs, to the wise man, to the prudent man. Let me show you some other areas where this word is used. It's used in Proverbs 12, and I'm just going to go through a laundry list, and I'm not going to tell you every verse, okay? You go back and you look on your own. But I like to sort of stack the scriptures in the front, and then we'll, we'll work it out and see where they fall. So Proverbs 12 and following says, A prudent man, a room, conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim foolishness. 
Every prudent man, a room, deals with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The simple believe every word, but the prudent man, the arum man, he looks well to his going. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent, the arum man, is crowned with knowledge, etc., etc., etc. It goes on to say that the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. What is the point? The point is this. Satan is a spirit being, am I right? Satan was standing with the serpent because we know that later when when the enemy's judged, his judgment is that he will crawl on the earth for the rest of his days, am I right? So that means he was probably erect just like I am and he was talking with Eve. And he probably wasn't this guy that was running around in a little rubber suit, but he was probably a guy that seemed somewhat appealing to Eve. And the spirit of the enemy of the Antichrist entered into that being the one that was cunning, the one that was subtle, the one that was described as the most arum beast that God had made and took on the form of a counterfeit prudence and wisdom and seduced that woman. Satan does not come at us with the big rubber red suit. We're too smart for that. We know that. We already have seen that. Most of us have already gone down that road. But he comes to us in the subtlety of prudence. He comes at us in the subtlety of beauty and allure. He doesn't come at us anymore once we've heard the word of God in a way that is blatant. You see, let's look at who this Satan fella is. You, you want to dig in a little bit? Satan is a counterfeit of what is real. Satan is a created being by God himself. You read in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. I'm just going to read, and we're going to sort of gallop through this. It says, this is about Satan himself in chapter 28 of Ezekiel. Write it down and look at it later. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, etc. You had prepared for you on the day you were created, and you had pipes that were beautiful. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, says God to Satan. He says, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. And it says, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was filled and lifted because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom from the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you, etc., etc. Satan was the anointed cherub. He was the worship leader, so to speak. And he had the most beautiful pipes, which is a way of saying that his voice was heavenly and it would echo through all eternity, the voice of the enemy. This is the beautiful one. He describes him as beauty. But to the contrary, in Isaiah 53, Jesus is described the Messiah to come, is described as one that has no beauty, that we would want him or desire him. But this one came in all the lure of the world, the beauty of the world. Imagine your favorite Hollywood star. That's, well, I'm not saying they're Satan, but you, you follow my logic. Satan was the anointed cherub. He was beautiful, but his wisdom was corrupted. He had violence in his heart, and his heart was lifted up. So what was Satan's crime? 
What was it beginning? We see in the book of Isaiah 14, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14, he says that I will ascend into heaven. This is Satan talking, or Lucifer rather. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He couldn't stand that God had more power than he did. He wasn't some dummy. He was probably the most intelligent one in all heaven, save for God and his son. But this one couldn't handle that power. And he began to exalt it over others until it says that Jesus himself says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you remember that in Luke 10, verse 18? I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. So this is the one that we're dealing with. We're dealing with Lucifer. That is basically the light bearer in Latin. The light bearer comes to us to what? To steal, kill, and destroy your joy, your life, everything that God wants to establish in your life. That's what he comes to do. And he's diligent. And it comes in beauty. And it comes in seduction. It's very cunning. It's a room. It's prudent. It knows your steps. But praise God, the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. That's our gospel. So now we're looking at this, and we see that the enemy comes to seduce Eve. Let's take a look at this. I see three things of the way the serpent seduces Eve, or let's say humanity. He challenges the word of God. He questions the word of God, and he contradicts the word of God. First of all, he challenges the word of God. Look what he said. Has God really said? Has God really said? That's the first thing he says. He questions the word of God. You shall eat of every tree of the garden. Did God really say that? He said every. You notice how he said every? That's not what God said. We'll get to that in a minute. He said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. In other words, he's trying to get you to get back to that place. That age-old question is this. Is God really, really good? How can God be good with all the distraction and all the destruction and all the things that happen in his life? How can God really be good if he's withholding something from you? Hmm. And Eve responds very appropriately. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the tree that is in the middle of the garden, hold on a second. Why is that tree in the middle of the garden? Why don't we take that tree and put the tree in the back so nobody sees it? Has anybody driven through Los Angeles on, an, like, let's say Hollywood on an evening? Is sin just running rampant? It's everywhere you go. You turn on your TV, sin is everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, they're saying this, that, and the other. I don't even like to say the words, but the S-E-X word and all these other things. I'm a little more, you know, than my words. But you know what I'm saying. Everything's punching in that direction. It's right in the middle of the room, man. And we're supposed to escape that? If I take God at his word, and he says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, then what he gives inside of me is perfect and total satisfaction in the word of God. And when I have satisfaction in the word of God, yes, it's in the middle of the room, but it no longer has the allure. I have been given eyes to see past the light bearer and see for what it really is, 
underneath it all, when they flip the lights on of the club, you see empty beer bottles all over the place and somebody sweeping, you know, the floor and all the junk and the garbage over the place. You realize that it was nothing but an illusion. It was smoke and mirrors. I'm passionate about this because a good portion of my life was ripped off by a lie. And my heart is to, hey, God, not on our watch. Not on our watch. No way, man. We're going to stand in the gap and we're going to herald the truth at whatever cost. God is good. I don't care what anybody says. His goodness endures forever. He's good. And the thing that he's trying to keep me away from is the thing that I can't really tell what the ramifications are to begin with. It's protecting a child from putting his hand in the light socket. He doesn't know what's in the light socket, but the parent does. It's trust. It's obedience to the word of God. Will you take him at his word? That's what I ask you tonight. He challenges the word of God. Is God really good? And Eve's response is, but God said we could eat of every tree of the garden except the one in the middle. And yet she adds something. She says, nor shall you touch it. She adds a little something to the word of God. Now, I'm not going to go on and go, whoa, let's stop here and let's, let's break that sucker down, you know. But she does add something to it. God didn't say, don't touch it. Have you ever gotten close to sin and you got close to it? Say you touched it and you felt so condemned that you touched it, you thought I might as well just go all the way? I'm the only one. <laughs> I have. I've been pulled into things when I just, I got close to it and the enemy seduced my brain before I was, you know, more mature in the Lord to think that, hey man, there is no way out. And yet the word of God says that there has no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. For God is faithful who will not tempt you above that you're able but will with that temptation also give you a way to escape. Some of you have addictions in this room and you've been going around this mountain for years and you go, you know what? I just can't seem to get free of this thing. There's no way I've been going around this mountain for 20 years and I can't seem to get free of this thing. And I say, God is greater than your sin. God is greater than your addiction. God is greater than your psychology or ever what you want to put on it. God is greater. He's greater still. Amen. I did about three, no, two years of jail ministry when I was living in Wisconsin. And it was always the same thing. It wasn't the crimes. It was the drug addiction that got them into the crimes. And they ended up back in jail around this mountain again, around this mountain again. Take him and add his word. God is greater. Did you hear that song when we were singing it? I'm just thinking, you know what, God, if you'd speak tonight, it's totally you because I'm just a knucklehead and I got things going on. I barely, you know, this. I just, the longer you walk in the Lord and you see your human frailties and then you see God move in your life or the lives of other people's, the more you just begin to see the glory of God and the more you want that glory working out through the lives of other people. Man, he's a, he's a life breather into the hearts of humanity. And we get to be a part of that if we take him at his word. I'm going to say something else. If you don't take God at his word, but you have signed up to a Calvary Chapel doctrine, and you say, I have taken him at his word, but you didn't take him at the word that he spoke to you this morning, guess what you've done? You've reduced his word to mythology. Because if it's really the word of God, and he's speaking to me directly, I ought to apply it, don't you think? We just put it to the side, and maybe we don't call it mythology, but we go, yeah, yeah, right? We go, yeah, yeah, whatever. 
Yeah, okay, sure. Go take a cup of cold water to anybody in the name of a disciple. You've done it unto me. All right, whatever. We reduce it to mythology. But when we take God at his word, he builds upon those little acts of faith, and you become a powerhouse for God wherever you are. Even if you're not the one that's the mouthpiece, you've got hands and feet that are inexhaustible. I could go on and on and tell you about stories of people that I know that aren't the mouthpiece, that are hands and feet, and they minister to me far more than I minister to them. I watch their walk, and you know the first thing that comes out of their mouth, the first impression when they share about Jesus, is utter gratitude. They know they've been saved. They know they've been delivered. And they know they're not worthy of it but God. That's beautiful to see that in a person's life and have it alive and well. The second thing he does, the enemy that is, is he causes you to question the word of God. He says, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. That's what he says. You will not surely die if you sin. God's grace is bigger than that. Yes, of course it is. But has, don't raise your hands. Has anybody ever had a sin in their life that you've been illuminated and you look back and you see that that sin destroyed years of where I could have been of service to God and other people? And it brings a deep sadness on your heart. And God can still redeem that, but it puts in your life a, a zeal to not want to ever let that get a hold of your life again. Ever. Yes, you will die spiritually when you commit sin. And God will come in and restore you and put you back up on, on the page. He'll put you back up on track. Seventy times seven, we're forgiven. But if you sin and you don't feel that little death in your heart, that grievance, that's the Holy Spirit saying you ought not do that. That's conviction, my friends. And you don't want to die any longer. Let the Lord restore the years that the locust has eaten and be a servant for the Most High God. This is a serving fellowship. I got to be in part of this fellowship. When it started off, we were really small. And it was, we served, we served, we served, we always served. Actually, Pastor Brett and I met serving together, painting a bathroom. I think I mentioned that last time I was here, which was, which was a hoot. I mean, what a better way to start a relationship, paint a bathroom, you know, together. Hey, man, can you move over? Quit painting my neck, you know. <laughs> Satan causes you to question the Word of God. He causes you to challenge the Word of God. He challenges the Word of God, and then he questions the Word of God, and then he contradicts the Word of God. It says in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. Did you notice when I listed those Proverbs, each one of them, the Arum, the prudent man, each one of them was linked with knowledge? Did you notice that? The prudent man has knowledge. The prudent man foresees the prudent man has knowledge and conceals it, but the foolish man proclaims all his foolishness. You see, a room is linked with knowledge, and knowledge has responsibility linked to it. And we are, caused, we are called to keep that knowledge underneath the reigning power of the Holy Spirit with prudence. 
you see, but what he's tempting us here to do is to know good and evil. The knowledge that God has given us, the knowledge that comes from God, is knowledge of him. It was never intended us for us to see the murders and the adulteries and all the sins that encompass this globe. It wasn't designed for us to see. I once had a, a mentor that was sharing a story with me how his children were homeschooled. And he said that they were watching a movie, and it was like a children's movie, and there was the scene where, this, where one of the persons in the movie were like taken into this dark alley, which, which communicated darkness, sin, maybe death, something like that. And he said that his kids freaked out. They freaked out because it was something that was foreign to them, but they knew that it was wrong. They sensed that it was evil. The knowledge that God has given us is the knowledge of God, the knowledge to know God and to make Him known. We weren't ever designed to know the knowledge of evil. And to tempt you to know the knowledge of good and evil is to exalt yourself as the one that should only know good and evil, and that's the Most High God. To think that we can handle that stuff and be immune to it is naivete. It's not accurate. It begins to deaden our heart towards the things of holiness and righteousness. And we begin to become anesthetized and hardened by it. And we no longer feel remorse or or a pain or a, a conviction against that. It becomes everyday commonality. You ask a man that's been working in law enforcement in the inner city for long enough, and you ask him about the struggle in his heart to have a love for these criminals if he's a Christian. It's got to be a struggle. It's got to be a struggle. And he's tempting her with, not only will you have the knowledge of good, but you'll have the knowledge of evil as well. You too will be like the Most High God, the very thing that caused Satan to fall. It says that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I spent a lot of money taking languages, so bear with me. I don't mean to bore you with the languages, but they're kind of cool. So this word in the Greek, when, in about 200 B.C., Alexandria, Egypt had the largest library in the world. So 200 B.C., they hired 70 Hebrew scholars from Jerusalem to come down and to translate the Hebrew Bible into Koine Greek. Has anybody ever heard of that story? It's called the Septuagint. And and so when they translated this passage into, when they translated it into Greek, the word that they used for opened is dianoigo. Well, who cares? What's that mean? What's dianoigo? It's the same word that it says when Jesus opened the scriptures on the road to Emmaus, he opened up the Psalms, the law, and the prophets. He dianoigo, he opened the scriptures to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it's the very same word that those Hebrew translators used to translate this passage. It will be opened. Once again, another counterfeit from the enemy. Yes, you will be opened, but not to the Psalms and the law and the prophets. You will be open to the knowledge of good and evil. You see the contradiction? Do you see the counterfeit nature that Satan tries to do? And in so knowing... The knowledge that you weren't supposed to have to begin with, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Just another word, that knowing is the same word that when Adam knew Eve, so you'll know good and evil when he knew his wife. In other words, you will know good and evil intimately. It will be in your soul. 
And it will cause a snare to cause you to go down roads that you never intended to go down. One joint turned into a heroin addict. One illicit picture turned into a lifelong addiction. You weren't ever supposed to go there. And yet God in his redeeming power will deliver you. Will deliver you if you take him. If you take him at his very word. And you allow the power of God to come into your life. And to grip you. And to hold you. And to cater to you. And to cater to your soul. And put it back on a straight and narrow path. There is no sin. There is no depravity of man. Where the love of Christ. The blood of Christ does not yet still go deeper. That's a guarantee because if that's not the truth, then woe is all of us in this room. You know, the pastors that end up becoming pastors are probably not the most righteous guys. They didn't grow up being the most righteous guys. Hopefully they're doing all right when they're in the pulpit and they're pastoring the church. But a lot of us came out of a background. And I think God allowed that in order to give us compassion towards those that are coming out of those backgrounds. But I tell you tonight that if you struggle with something dark, I mean, dark as dark. God is greater than that darkness. And he can deliver you at the call of his word. His word is true. It's powerful. It's consistent. There's no change in it. That's what the Bible says. If it's not true, then what are we believing in? The Bible says that the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I hold that as being true. The Bible says that God holds his word above his very name. I hold that to be true. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I hold that to be true. If it's not true, then what are we hoping in? Some pastor giving a message? This is like a locker room, my friends. The game is you and the word out there when the test comes. That's where the middle of the tree is. It's out there. And you have to walk past it every single day. Praise God. So the woman saw, it says, the woman saw the fruit. The enemy challenged her, questioned the word of God, contradicted the word of God, and now Eve takes the bait. It says that she saw, she said she saw with her eyes that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and it would make one wise. Now, I'm reminded of a certain passage of Scripture in 1 John here, which I'd like to share with you. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. The lust of the flesh. It says that the woman saw the tree was good for food. Mmm, that's a tasty looking fruit. Saw that it was good for food. She lusted after it. Lust of the eyes, that it was pleasant to the eyes, it says. The pride of life. It was a tree desirable to make one wise. Pretty much a direct parallel, isn't it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Pleasure, 
positions and prestige. Can anybody identify with that? Pleasures, positions, and prestige. That's not just in the world. That can be in ministry. That can be in any aspect. You know, they say the number one reason why missionaries fail in the field is because they can't get along with each other. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? But it's true. I wonder if there's a little pride of life in there. Do you think? When everything's said and done, y'all, our primary ministry is to the Lord himself. And I mean loving the word of God, being satisfied in the word of God, taking God at his word and not compromising it. And when you do fall, because there are seasons when things are slippery, you come back to the word of God. The Bible says that a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. His grace is sufficient for you. And we hold to that. We live that out. The woman ate and she gave to her husband. And it says that her eyes were opened and she knew that she was naked. And as a result, there was shame. There was shame. And what's the first thing they did? They covered their shame. I used to work for a real ter- real a retailer that sold very expensive suits. And I'm not going to mention the name of that place, but I used to call them glorified fig leaves. Well, these are just glorified fig leaves. I mean, the amount of money we sell these things for is totally insane. One brother knows what I'm talking about. He, we were close during that time. It's amazing. Sometimes I would have to wear these suits to, to the retailer, and sometimes I would put on a, because everybody's like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Wow. Sometimes I'd mess with them. I'd put a really cheap shirt on underneath it just to mess with them, and now I'd have like this really expensive tie and a suit. Like, wow, look at that shirt. Wow, that's cool. I was like, I would, yep, sure, that's a $9.99 shirt. You know, it's Walmart all the way, you know. It was ridiculous. They're glorified fig leaves, and we buy into all the hooks and links and uh, what's the word, the, the um, hooks and sinkers, we buy into all of it because we see that thing as being so beautiful and alluring in the middle of the room. But all it is is a reflection of the light bear, Lucifer, alluring us into his traps, gripping our hearts, causing us to lose our primary focus, which is Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because Jesus is the word. It's the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that is a beautiful thing you see jesus has provided a way out for us in that same chapter of genesis 3 it doesn't go too far that jesus doesn't give us an opportunity to come out almost immediately in a heartbeat he says this he says in chapter 3 verse 15 and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is the first picture of the gospel message. It foreshadows what Jesus will do. That the seed of the woman, which is Jesus Christ, will bruise the head of Satan forever. And we will have a way out. So if you feel, if you feel like God has abandoned you, or God is not good, I'm telling you, you take him at his word, and he says that his mercy endures forever, that there's no shadow in his turning, that he is good, that he is the good shepherd, he's the light of life, he's the light of the world, he is the resurrection and the life, he's the vine, he is is the door to everlasting life. That's our God, that's who we serve. 
God is good. And I know that addictions and sin and struggle can keep you down and keep you thinking that God is not good or God has abandoned you. And I guarantee you at the cry of the Lord, he will come back in and he will refresh your heart. And you may need to cry on God again. And you may need to cry on God again. And you may need to keep on asking and asking and asking and knocking and knocking and knocking and seeking and seeking and seeking until it really gets a hold of you. I don't mean you're justified before the Lord because the moment you're quickened before a holy God, you are quickened and you are saved by grace. You have salvation. Brother, we are going to fellowship in heaven. But I'm talking about the sanctification path. I'm talking about staying the straight and narrow path. It requires diligence. It requires a heart that's steadfast and willing to go to any length to take God at his word. In closing, I just want to share how that little story about my desire to go to Yale. I look back now, it seems so ridiculous, but I really wanted to go. I really wanted to go. And I remember this woman, it wasn't Jenny, but it was another a woman part of our small little fellowship. If I said her name, some of you would know. She said, you better take God at his word. And I just wanted to go, but. What are you talking? I really want to go. I wonder this would be what an opportunity. This would be great. And this was never in my horizons. You better take God at His word. Well, that was in 2003. In 2010, I had the opportunity to go to Yale as a prospective student. And I talked to them with my best friend who's, who's an academic, and we said, Hey, is there any way we can meet with the executive director for the works of Jonathan Edwards? And if you don't know who Jonathan Edwards was, I'll just a quick synopsis. 1703 to 1757, considered the smartest man that ever walked the North American continent. And he's basically responsible for laying out theology that our founding fathers would build upon. It was impeccable stuff. And the, all his works are piled in the library underneath the Divinity Campus there at Yale. And so I said, hey, is there any way we can get a hold of this guy? And he said, sure, sure, we'll set up a meeting. So we go there, we sat with this guy, and we sat for like an hour. And it was like, we were just connected. It was beautiful. And he gave us free license to peruse the original works of Jonathan Edwards. I mean, sinners in the hand of an angry God, I held it in my hands. And I'm going, wow, this was amazing. And we walked out of there. We walked in that library. This man invited me and said, why don't you finish up what you're doing and apply here, and we'll put you on a three-year degree program and you can translate we have we have several boxes of untranscribed writings of jonathan edwards we need transcribers because his 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 writing was so hard to read because he wrote everything with his hand voluminously everything with his hand that you can't read it the hand goes whatever carpal tunnel everything else he said we need it takes about a year of training before you can actually transcribe these things why don't you come here we'll put you on a three-year program and you can transcribe until your heart's delight and I walked out of there. I said, it was just, oh, it was like a dream come true. And my friend and I were walking down the path. And he said to me, so what are you going to do? I mean, he's an academic. He's, he's doing a Ph.D. in U.K. today. And I said to him, I don't know. This is a true story. I said, I don't know, but I'm perfectly satisfied in God. And I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. If God wanted me to do that, then I'll do that. But I don't need it like I used to. In other words, satisfaction came in taking God at his word. And I look back now that if I would have gone down that route, 
I would have been an academic and I wouldn't have been a pastor. And I know God wanted me to be amongst the people and be a pastor. I know that with my heart, I know that with every fiber of my being that I wasn't called to live in a library down in the stacks, so to speak, somewhere. That I'm called to be amongst all of you people. And that doesn't poo-poo the guy that's called to that. But your calling is sure and steadfast. And God wants to establish that in your life. And he will continue to build upon that. Now, like I said, that's a positive adherence to the word of God. If I come back next time, I'll share with you a negative one. But I want to make sure I get invited back. Because Eve wasn't so good at that. She questioned the word of God and she took the bait. Because I've taken the bait more than I've actually obeyed. You know, I'm just going to put it like that. But the reality of it is, I'm very, very grateful in that one area that I didn't. And God brought me through to the other side in perfect satisfaction. And I can say now in 2013, I don't even want to go do that. God has given me a position in a church that I love. I love the people that I serve. I love who I'm called to to minister to. I love all the nooks and crannies of the chaos of just doing ministry. It's satisfying. God will put you where he will have you if you just take God at his word and don't question it. Don't challenge it. Don't contradict it. Just receive it with a simple obedience. Over a lifetime, you will look back and you will be blown away of how God has just carried you. Here's the other side of it. You probably won't see it in the moment. That's going to take faith. You will see it when you look back three or five years later. If there's any young adults in here in this room tonight, I'm not saying your parents are perfect, but they've been your age. You haven't been theirs, okay? They probably have a little bit more to say about the way you'd live your life. They're not trying to kill your joy. They're trying to add abundant joy to your life. They have a heart. They will, you, if you look at their steps, you see that they would go to any length to serve you and make sure you're on the straight and narrow path. They are good. God is good. God will bring you through. Take him at his word. Let God bless your life so that you can be a blessing to other people and on and on and on, duplicating yourself into a generation that many of you may never even see. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these precious souls tonight. I pray, God, you bless them. I pray, God, you touch their lives. I pray, God, you just give them a hunger for your word more than their very physical food. I pray, God, that if there's any anger in this room tonight, Lord, you would just quench it, Lord. I just pray you'd bring it down. I pray if there's any pride or there's any criticism towards people in their workplace, I pray, God, you'd turn that and you give them a heart of love and compassion towards their, their workmates. I pray, God, that we would not reduce your word to mythology, but I pray, God, that we would revere it above everything else, Lord. We would carry it with the utmost respect, and we would hold it so dear to our heart, Lord, that, that we would rather give our very life than compromise what you've given to us in your holy, breathing, living word of God. Make us your disciples, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. And thank you that we are part of the eternal sainthood of Christ and him crucified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.